Blog Talk Radio. Okay, folks. Welcome to the Environmental Justice Report with me, your host, Janine Moloff. Well, there's a lot going on tonight, and this week I decided that I was going to talk about something that is happening right now. So if you saw our little advert, you saw the headline, Why is Joe Manchin, Senator Joe Manchin that is, crafting the Biden climate plan? Because that just came to fruition recently. So news broke in The Intercept that Senator Joe Manchin, you know, big fossil fuels best friend, will craft the climate bill. Why? I'd really like to know. Manchin has for decades been the poster boy for political corruption as recently outed by an Exxon lobbyist in a sting that was orchestrated by Greenpeace. So why is Joe Manchin being given the task of crafting the Biden climate bill? I mean, folks, let's call it what it is. Fox, meat hen house, bon appetit. That's what they're saying. So in this story, I'm going to be really relying a lot on documentation I found in several sources. The New Republic is one. A big source besides The Intercept is the story that was done in conjunction with The Intercept, uh, a story by Daniel Boguslaw, and it was a partnership with Type Investigations and The Intercept. And Type Investigations is a massive non-for-profit source that does phenomenal, phenomenal um, in-depth journalism. And most main sources, whether it's Rolling Stone, uh, The Intercept, even Politico, they use type investigations. It is truly a gem. So why is Joe, Joe Manchin being given the task of crafting the climate bill when he received most of his fortune from big coal. It, it really seems, it's not just counterintuitive, it's just plain stupid, as I said before. So I'm going to discuss Joe Manchin's history and his obvious conflict of interest in this political arena. Now, unlike the mainstream read corporate media, I am not about to label Joe Manchin or any of his cohorts a moderate. There's nothing moderate about him. He has, in my opinion, been doing the equivalent of taking bribes, albeit legally, for many years from big fossil fuel. We call them campaign contributions, but make no mistake about it. The way it's been done since uh, Citizens United, that decision, it is essentially legalized bribery, legalized extortion on the part of politicians as well. So it, it works both ways. And... You know, the fact that political bribery under the form of campaign contributions is technically legal in the United States is bad enough. But the fact that the mainstream corporate media won't challenge such systemic corruption is worse. So let's look at this. So Joe Manchin will author the Biden administration climate plan, according to the New York Times. Now, he has a deep conflict of interest, but we're going to look at not only his long history of what can only be called, as I said before, legalized corruption, but also that of his House counterpart, Congressman Frank Pallone. Now, Pallone is handling the House contribution on this same climate bill. In fact, 
you have to ask yourself, why is Speaker Pelosi allowing Pallone's involvement since he's really, he between him and his family, so compromised ethically? It's not a hard ask, but we know that this level of corruption is not only systemic, it is openly encouraged. And that's to our shame, all of us. The other question to be asked is, why are we tolerating a mainstream media that not only normalizes this corruption, but pushes the propaganda that Joe Manchin, along with Kirsten Cinema, that they're moderate? They're not moderates. Both of them are political quizlings that are very happy to sell out to the highest bidder. It's absurd. You know, even after this past summer, when the Exxon lobbyist video hit the airwaves in a sting, it was a sting conducted by Greenpeace, I think, in England. And this Exxon lobbyist thought he was talking to a potential employer. And he didn't realize it was a sting. And he just went to town and named several, since the Democrats were in charge now, several Democrats and Republicans, it goes without saying, but several Democrats that Exxon and other aspects of big fossil fuel really are happy to help, if you will. And Joe Manchin's name really popped up a lot. He was the go-to guy. He was the kingmaker, according to this Exxon lobbyist. And it was a wink, wink, nod, nod. It was such an obvious admission on the part of this Exxon lobbyist of corruption it would have made the, the sponsors of Tammany Hall blush. That's how ridiculous it was. But the idea, this bogus idea of Manchin the moderate is the propaganda that allows Joe Manchin to continue feeding at the trough like the political pig that he is. So, and again, after the Exxon video, you know, back in the 70s, if a video like that had surfaced, Joe Manchin would have been forced out of office and he would have left in disgrace and possibly been facing criminal charges. But thanks to the Supreme Court decision of Citizens United, you know, the whole idea that money is speech, all that nonsense, he can get away with this. It's outrageous. So let's talk about the idea of Joe Manchin and his buddy in the House, uh, Frank Pallone, crafting the climate bill. Let's talk about the documents and the danger that Joe Manchin poses to any sort of meaningful climate bill. So from The Intercept, uh, this was a piece done in partnership with Type Investigations. It was written by a reporter named Daniel Boguslaw, and it ran on September 3rd. The headline, Joe Manchin's Dirty Empire the West Virginia senator reaps big financial rewards from a network of coal companies with grim records of pollution, safety violations, and death. Now, keep in mind, we have been warned by every scientist, every scientific group worldwide, globally, that it is code red for this planet. If we don't change our ways drastically and dump fossil fuel and go on to renewables, and I don't mean nuclear, but go on to safe renewables like solar, wind, and so on, and change our ways, future generations will not have a planet that is habitable because we're being too selfish, 
and too cowardly to stop these greedy companies and these political whores like Joe Manchin. And I don't mean to slut shame whores, but, you know, if the slut shame fits, it's not gender specific, folks. So, August 11th, early hours, the Senate voted to approve a $3.5 trillion budget resolution that would essentially be considered the most, quote, the most significant investment in the fight against climate change ever undertaken in the United States, end quote. It was very close, and guess who cast the tie-breaking vote? Joe Manchin. Now, this resolution, in order to get approval between not only the Senate but also House, it's going to take months of wrangling. But it also hinges on Manchin's continued support. Now, this shows you how cocky Joe Manchin is getting not long after he gave this tie-breaking vote, right? He issued the following public statement, which is basically a not-so-thinly-veiled threat to warn the bill's backers, don't take him for granted, don't upset him. Here's the statement, quote, from Joe Manchin. Quote, adding trillions of dollars more to nearly 29 trillion of national debt without any consideration of the negative effects on our children and grandchildren is one of those decisions that has become far too easy in Washington. Okay? If you're sticking your head in the sand and saying that fossil fuel has to be eliminated in America and they want to get rid of it, thinking that's going to clean up the global climate, it won't clean it up at all. End quote. Now, this is what Manchin, this is the statement he said. Now, Manchin also told CNN after a private meeting with President Biden and some other Senate Democrats, quote, if anything, it would be worse. So Manchin is telling President Biden, this was a private meeting between Biden and some other top Senate Democrats, and he told CNN in terms of the reconciliation bill, that if you think you're going to get rid of fossil fuel and that's going to clean up the global climate, quote, it won't clean it up at all. If anything, it would be worse, end quote. Now, my question is this. What reality does Manchin live in? Is he merely 100% scientifically illiterate? Or is he just 100% ethically bankrupt? And I think it's the latter. Okay. He, I think he knows what he's saying is not only a lie, it's an incredibly stupid lie. It is the political equivalent of the dog ate my homework. It's ridiculous. So Manchin's claiming that climate pollution will be worsened by the elimination of fossil fuels. Okay? It takes a hell of a lot of nerve to make a statement that incredibly stupid and insist you're going to be taken for granted. I mean, insist you're going to be taken seriously. He's feeling that cocky, that powerful, knowing full well it's dumber than the emperor buck naked as a jaybird saying, don't you love the cut of my, my, my suit? Okay, but that's what Manchin claimed, that climate pollution could be made worse if you eliminate fossil fuels. Did CNN question him on it? I doubt it. So why is Joe Manchin making these threats? Okay. 
Why is he attacking the more, or insisting on more incremental climate provisions? Keep in mind, he's wanting small increments, as small as possible. Well, the answer is pretty obvious. Because what would really be impacted the most is his own personal wealth. Joe Manchin's personal wealth is directly tied to coal, period. And he is heavily invested in the industry. Much of his fortune he owes to coal. For decades, Manchin has had a series of coal companies that began with founding them in the 1980s. Now, his son, Joe Manchin IV, has, you know, in recent years assumed leadership. Senator Manchin loves to say that his ownership is held in a blind trust, according to NewYorkTimes.com. But between the time Joe Manchin became a U.S. senator and now, Joe Manchin, Senator Joe Manchin, has, quote, personally grossed more than $4.5 million from those firms, according to financial disclosures. Now, those are the financial disclosures. That's according to the Intercept piece. Those are the financial disclosures. That doesn't mean that with some creative bookkeeping, if you will, creative accounting, there, aren't, there isn't more money hidden somewhere that is attributed to the coal or these coal companies. So apparently, uh, Senator Manchin holds stock options in one of the companies that he owns, something called Enter Systems Inc. That's the larger of the firms, and that is of two companies. That's valued between one and five million. Now, Senator Manchin owns two companies, Enter Systems and Farmington Resources. Okay. Now, Farmington Resources was created, <coughs> excuse me, by very quickly merging two other firms, another firm that Manchin owned called Transcon and Farmington Energy, and he did that in 05. So what does Enersystem do? Well, they purchase low-quality waste coal from mines, and then they sell it back to power plants as fuel. Now, Farmington Resources provides what they call support activities for mining, and that's according to SOSWestVirginia.gov. And they hold the coal reserves in the Fairmont area. So what are, Joe, what are Senator Manchin's sins, if you will, over the decades? It's environmental sins. And if it sounds like I'm really jumping on him, well, I am. All right? He is going to destroy any meaningful climate bill. And he's going to do it because if a meaningful climate bill takes place, it's going to cut into his money. He's already a multimillionaire, but that doesn't matter. So Senator Manchin sins over the decades, his environmental sins. Quote, this is straight from the article, quote, whether feeding tens of thousands of tons of dirty waste coal into the power plants of, in northern West Virginia, or subjecting workers to unsafe conditions, Manchin's family coal business has almost entirely avoided public scrutiny. End quote. And the article here said that Manchin never responded to numerous requests for comment or response. Why is it the Manchin's coal business has avoided public scrutiny? Now, we know that before Joe, Senator Manchin was a U.S. senator, he was conveniently the governor of West Virginia. Okay. 
So let's look at Joe Manchin, Senator Manchin's history. In 1987, he's now the senior citizen, excuse me, the senior senator from West Virginia. In 1987, uh, Senator Manchin, along with his brothers, basically put their business dealings near Farmington. Farmington is where their grandfather had been mayor. And then they made their headquarters for Enter Systems and Farmington Resources in the in the city of Fairmount, which is near, not far from Farmington. Fairmount is also on the banks of a major river, the Monongahela River. Now, the article says, and I, I'm going to read this exactly as it says in the article, okay? Quote, Manchin's brokerage firm has failed to attract the same attention as the Excuse me, as the scalped mountains and blackened tap water in the southeast region of the state, where mountaintop removal mining has radically altered the once, once pristine landscape. But in the northern political enclave of Marion County, Manchin's businesses are fueling environmental degradation and impacting public health with severe consequences. Farmington has the dirtiest power plants and huge coal ash grounds, end quote. Take that in for a minute. You know, we remember in the media, mainstream media, when miners in West Virginia were trapped in the mine, they perished. This is during the time when Manchin was governor. Okay? And we remember hearing about, you know, mountaintop removal, Okay, and the water pollution that resulted from it. But Manchin's enterprises evaded scrutiny. I don't know. Do you think maybe his being governor had something to do with it? I mean, let's be honest, people. Somebody is the governor of the state, and all the um, departments in the cabinet work at the pleasure of the sitting governor. Do you really think that sitting governor is going to have them examine the business interests of that same governor or his family? I don't think so. I'm not making accusations. I'm asking very pointed questions. Okay? And as for coal ash, coal ash has been linked to increased cancer incidents. Coal ash contains multiple known and proven carcinogens. There's nothing good about it. Farmington has some of West Virginia's oldest mines, and according, as documented by Vice.com, the dirtiest power plants, and enormous coal ash dumping grounds. As these same operations, that Senator Manchin is a beneficiary of where he gets hundreds of thousands of dollars in revenue, okay, every year. And that's according to efdsearch.senate.gov. So type investigations, <coughs> excuse me, an intercept analysis. They did an analysis of public records, and they, let me back up a little bit here, sorry. <coughs> sorry about the coughing, people. So type investigations and the intercept together conducted an analysis. They did a deep dive into the public records and what they found was the impact of the coal firms owned 
by Joe Manchin and his family. What they found, and I'm going to read straight from this, quote, for decades they have relied on mines and refuse piles cited for dozens of mine safety and health agency violations, multiple deaths, and wastewater discharging that has poisoned tributaries feeding into the Monongahela River as hundreds of thousands of tons of carcinogenic coal ash are dumped across Marion County. That's a lot to take in. Now, this article goes on to say very clearly, quote, while Manchin does not own the mine, refuse piles, and power plants that have polluted Marion County, he continues to reap their financial rewards. It goes on to say, I'm reading straight from this, quote, <clears throat> in tracing the life cycle of Manchin's coal from its origin at refuse sites to the looming plants of powers, down into the water and soil of northern West Virginia, the steep and complex cost of Manchin's empire begins to take shape. Okay. <clears throat> this is far worse than taking bribes, legalized or otherwise. How many of you would like to live in that area? Nobody. People live there because they're stuck. Nobody in the right mind would want to live near a coal mine or near an coal ash pit because of the well-known and thoroughly documented health hazards. Coal ash, again, directly proven cause of multiple cancers. At every age, from infancy on to old age, now, Joe Manchin doesn't spend much time there. I'm sure the family that still resides there lives in some Tony suburb. NIMBYism is alive and well, but this is poisoning. And, and as such, you know, we talk a lot about environmental, the whole idea of the show is environmental justice. And usually we pair that with environmental racism. This is really... Not only that, but it's also environmental classism, where people that are lower income are directly hurt by this. They are considered acceptable collateral damage. And for Joe Manchin, it definitely is, because he is protecting big fossil fuel. And given the fact that Senator Manchin is an attorney, no less, he knows better, presumably. Okay, so... They go into this next part outside of the town of Fairmont. There's another town called Barrickville, West Virginia. And there's a mine there. They just call it the Barrickville Mine. And it's just sort of buried there. But basically, they talk about how in 1925, there was a gas explosion in the mine. And this is the mine that supplied coal to um, Bethlehem Steel. And in 1925, this explosion killed 33 miners. It goes on to say that as recently as 2019, and that was when the latest comprehensive data was released by the Energy Information Administration, quote, 
the refuse piles of low-quality coal those miners left behind serve as the second-largest coal source for mansions and our systems. Okay? So what does that mean? Basically, they're using this, this leftover coal. All right? Since 2000, the Barracksville site has been cited for five accidents and one death. Over the past two decades, this refuse pile at Barrickville was cited and fined for over 30 safety violations by MISHA, which is the Mine Safety and Health Administration. Among the charges were the following. One, unsafe equipment. Two, unsafe material storage. Three, dangerous lack of lighting. Four, unsafe brakes. Five, failure to adequately inspect electrical equipment. Six, failure to maintain automatic warning devices. Seven, unsafe vehicle storage. Eight, failure to complete daily safety inspections. Nine, this one's really worrisome. Failure to mark hazardous material, I'm sorry, failure to mark hazardous chemicals. 10, failure to maintain minor training records. And 11, failure to adequately train minors. Now, just slightly north of Barrickville, um, right by the banks of the Monongahela River, is the largest supplier of waste coal, the Humphrey Number no. 7 mine. It is Enersystem's largest supplier of waste coal since 2019. That's the Humphrey number seven mine. Over 40 safety violations were also recorded by MISHA since 2000. And those safety requirements, those safety um, violations include, one, failure to file adequate records on coal slurry impoundments. This is significant. When they fail to maintain records properly on coal slurry or coal ash, or hazardous chemicals. That is not necessarily just an oversight. Failure to maintain records is one way to evade any sort of, of uh, transparency. You're not exactly lying, but you're just, you haven't maintained records, so it's just a big question mark. So they can't really find you guilty on anything except failing to maintain records. So it's not a little nothing. So among the safety violations of the Humphrey Number no. 7 mine or Enter Systems, with again, Joe Manchin, failure to adequately maintain reports on coal slurry impoundments, also failure to safely control dust. <coughs> the dust issue deals with uh, airborne particulates that also can be carcinogenic. Dust is important. Failure to adequately train new miners. Why would you not train your miners properly? Unless, of course, you don't want them to know what's really going on. If they don't know what's going on, then they can't report something, and therefore your records are incomplete. And it's a really great way to hide all sorts of crimes. More, failure to maintain adequate vehicle brakes. Failure to correct equipment defects. Failure to safely maintain power lines. Failure to safely store loose hazardous material. Well, 
if you're not storing hazardous material properly, you don't want adequate records. Failure to maintain adequate firefighting equipment and failure to properly maintain flammable liquid storage. Okay. There is a witness. There's a retired United Mine Workers uh, coal miner from West Virginia. His name's Terry Steele. Mr. Steele was quoted saying the following. Quote, it's backbreaking. And we always say that even if you survived it, you know, for instance, like a mine cave-in, you didn't survive it. If you worked any time underground and your back is messed up, then the dust got you when you quit. And the dust, what he's talking about is all, all sorts of occupational hazards, including um, what they call black lung disease, which is a disease actually called pneumoconiosis. It basically destroys your lungs. Now, Mr. Steele did say that he did vote for Manchin only once, <clears throat> and that was because um, Senator Manchin had worked to, you know, secure and stabilize their pensions. But now he's been lobbying Senator Manchin to act on, quote, easing minors' access to the federal black lung fund, which was set up to compensate those suffering from pneumoconiosis. Now, the mining industry is very dangerous, but it's also pointed out in this article that the hazards, they would have you believe, mining industry would have you believe these hazards are inevitable, but they're not. There will be some hazards, but the, mo the, the worst of them are not inevitable, and that is as documented by David McAteer, who was the Assistant Secretary of MISHA, which is the Mine Safety Hazard Association, under President Bill Clinton. He is also a former mine disaster investigator, and he um, gave some information to both Type and The Intercept. And he explained that mine safety violations, you have to view them really on a, a long spectrum. It's not all just black and white. He went on to say, quote, you can minimize the risk, you can marginalize the risk, and you can protect people. And he also said that you should be able to operate a mine without death and injury. To quote Mr. McAteer, quote, there are companies that operate mines safely without fatal accidents. It can be done, and that holds true with any kind of mine. But you have to spend the time and money to make it happen that way, end quote. Now, Joe Manchin isn't unknown to the the very horrible consequences of indifferent mine safety. He had an uncle who was killed along with 77 others in the Farmington mine disaster of 1968, and it was considered one of the worst mining accidents in U.S. history. Ironically, they were mining what they call the same coal seam in Farmington that feeds into the Barrickville site. In January, Senator Manchin released a statement, according to his website at manchin.senate.gov, his newsroom press release, on the 15th anniversary of the Sago mine disaster. That was the one that took the lives of 12 miners. Um, you know, he goes on to say, quote, the Sago disaster anniversary reminds us that coal miners risk their lives every day to power our nation 
and we must prioritize their health, safety, and security. I will continue to fight to make sure no family suffers this terrible loss ever again, end quote. Okay, well, I'm sure that some staffer did a very nice job writing that statement. So let's look deeper in what Joe Manchin really does. This is what I call the environmental crimes of, Manchin, of the Manchin Company Enter System. Let's move on. Briefly about workers that, you know, are, their lives are in danger at, at mining sites, cave-ins, things like that. But the lives lost through that are really a fraction of the population that is negatively harmed or impacted by coal fields and power plants. The same coal fields and power plants that, quote, prop up Manchin's business. Okay? Again, I am going to read straight from this as a direct quote, quote from, from the Intercept type article. Quote, while racking up safe workplace safety violations, Enter Systems' two largest suppliers of coal have discharged significant amounts of toxic material into local waterways. Type investigations and the, and the Intercept found that Enter Systems sold coal from mines that not only violated the Clean Water Act, but also served as dumping grounds for carcinogenic coal ash. Enter Systems has also sold coal to an energy producer pumping acid mine drainage into the mine system running below the greater Fairmount area. The Barrickville mine was cited by the EPA in 2018 and 2019 for failure to file quarterly reports on the affluence discharged during the process of coal extraction. When the mine did file in 2020, it reported levels of the toxic heavy metal manganese exceeding Clean Water Act limits by over 600%. Excess exposure to manganese has been linked to neurological and fertility impairments and infant deaths. The Buffalo Creek into which the Barrickville mine discharges is listed by the EPA as impaired by over a dozen different heavy metals, end quote. This ties in with the inability to keep proper records. And as boring as that may sound, there is only one real reason beyond just incompetence why a major outfit like this, any big company, would fail to keep proper records that are required by the federal government, by the Environmental Protection Agency. It is a sneaky way to avoid directly lying, but to evade having to report truthfully what's going on. Because you can't, be, you can't say that they can't charge you with lying to a federal agency. They can't charge you with um, the idea of perjuring yourself during, say, a Senate investigation because you just didn't provide the information. Um, this is just a really ignorant way of avoiding culpability, avoiding responsibility. And when you have people that do this, the fact is the, it should be the people that own these companies and the board of directors that should be held directly responsible criminally for failure to maintain these records. These records are maintained for a reason. How in the world can you measure how much discharge of heavy metals 
are happening from these coal ash pits. If you don't have the records, you can't. That's why they don't keep proper records. This is not a nothing charge. This is major. And this Center Systems is guilty as hell. When they finally did file in 2020, there were levels of manganese that went beyond the Clean Water Act limits by over 600%. But apparently, CNN, the New York Times, they didn't notice this, or if they did, they paid lip service to it and moved on. Because they were too busy pushing the idea of bipartisanship and Joe Manchin is some sort of moderate, like it's this religious mantra that if you repeat over and over again, somehow magically everybody's going to buy into it and everything will just be fine. Well, that's not journalism, folks. That's propaganda. We have a right to know. We all drink the same water, breathe the same air. Here's another thing here. The Humphrey Number 7 mine, which I mentioned before, in 2009, the Humphrey Number no. 7 mine pumped wastewater into a toxic holding pool, and then it was released into Dunkard Creek. And that doesn't sound like a big deal until you realize that the creek goes straight into the Monongahela River, where the wa- quote where the waste pool discharge helped eliminate almost all life in a 40-mile stretch of river. Fish, frogs, you name it, it all died. Can you imagine how toxic that water was that even insects died? I mean, you know, the old joke that, you know, all human life could be extinguished, but the roaches and the insects will still live and the, and the snakes and everything. Everything gone within 40 miles under investments in companies owned by Senator Manchin who should not be anywhere near the climate bill. He shouldn't be allowed to craft it. In fact, he should be kicked out of that committee because too big a conflict of interest. I don't care if he has a blind trust or not. Blind trust my ass. You honestly think the people that run the affiliated blind trust, which probably one of his sons, really think he doesn't know what's going on? No. It's nonsense. Do you really think either you or I would get away with that type of criminal activity? Of course not. We would be under indictment. We would have faced criminal prosecution. We'd be sitting in a jail cell. Let's move on here. There is a professor from Indiana University, Professor Michael Hendricks. He is in the Department of Environmental and Occupational Health, an actual scientist. Full professor. Professor Hendricks told Tyke and the Intercept that, quote, often the water pumped out of simplistic coal wastewater treatment facilities isn't meaningfully treated. To go on, there are these really modest water treatment facilities, and they basically remove the visible sediment and heavy metals and bacterial counts. But they might not be so good at removing organics and difficult to remove chemicals like clean feet, like coal cleaning formulas, which are hard to test for because they're proprietary to the coal producers. You see, organics and other types of chemical compounds like ammonium, and I don't have a lot of confidence these publicly treated facilities are doing a great job. 
Okay, what Professor Hendricks is basically saying is that these facilities that treat the coal wastewater, they're only doing so at a very cursory level, most likely, okay? The visible sediment, the obvious stuff you can see with the naked eye, some heavy metals that are in larger amounts and bacterial counts, but these organics, these chemicals that are in the coal cleaning formula, so he says they're proprietary. That means that this is a formula that this company claimed to have invented and it's protected as proprietary rights. So the government can't know what's in it for fear that somebody might steal the formula and make money with it. I can't imagine that. But And we had the same excuse with fracking companies to do hydraulic fracturing. We never found out exactly what was in the fracking uh, fluid that they used. We knew that there were some carcinogenics in it, like benzene. But the corporate lawyers claim, well, the fracking fluid is a proprietary, um, proprietary object. We made it. We own it. We're not going to tell you what's in it because somebody might steal it and make money for it, make money with it. Absolute nonsense. When it comes to the idea of having a formula that cleans things up, cleans up pollution, those agencies should have every right to know exactly what's in that fluid, proprietary or not. These are these corporations claiming they want some sort of protection because somebody might steal, but no crime of actual corporate theft, theft has occurred yet. They want protection ahead of, in advance, that something might happen. And that's nonsense. That's not the way the law works. So Professor Hendricks is basically saying that these water treatment facilities run on the public dollar basically are probably not getting everything. In fact, he's pretty sure they're not. Professor Hendricks also cited a 2010 study which associated this type of water pollution with increased cancer incidence and increased cancer mortality. Okay. And that was in West Virginia itself. There was also a 2016 study that found violations for drinking water safety, which is a major thing, uh, that the violations for drinking water safety standards were much higher in West Virginia near coal mining areas. So if it was being treated properly, it wouldn't be that much higher. Now, the extraction sites aren't the only polluters in this group of businesses that enable Enter Systems to return six-figure profits. To quote them, Enter, quote, Enter Systems Coal has fueled power plants in northern West Virginia that are major producers of carbon dioxide, sulfur dioxide, and fine particulate matter. <coughs> Excuse me, folks. And there were uh, health impact reports produced by the EPA and they were also um, analyzed by this advocacy group called the Clean Air Task Force. And they both estimated that the emissions are associated in this one Grant Tower power plant, North Paramount, with 18 deaths and some other medical problems. Let's move on. The kind of waste um, from the, the kind of, the type of waste coal from mines like the Humphrey Number no. 7 and the Barrickville Tile 
have also become the latest instance of what we call greenwashing. You know, the writers call it a cause celebre for the fossil fuel industry. This is really an asinine argument. So here's what happened. Industry, according to Aripa.org, industry lobbyists are from the fossil fuel industry are arguing, get this, this is almost funny, quote, that the burning of waste coal helps to reclaim mines by removing waste piles that can leach toxins into groundwater. Well, all right. You don't want the toxins leaching into the groundwater. That makes sense. But what you're doing then by burning this waste coal, you're just taking the waste, in my understanding, and you're just spewing it into the atmosphere. It's not cleaning up anything. But it makes measuring the pollution for the purposes of um, establishing punitive fines that the industry has to pay for, it makes that very difficult to measure. Now, in 2010, while Manchin was governor, he codified this view by, quote, overseeing legislation to designate waste coal as an alternative energy source. And that's according to reedsludge.com. And this was in something called the Alternative and Renewable Energy Portfolio Act. And it does exactly what I'm saying. Basically, they take this um, coal ash, this waste coal, and instead of letting it leach into the groundwater, and instead of cleaning it up properly, they figure they're going to make money off of the mess they created in addition to the money they already made. So they just put it into a combustion chamber. In other words, they burn it, okay? And they send tens of thousands of tons of carbon dioxide and sulfur dioxide into the atmosphere, the same stuff we shouldn't be doing. And then these combustion chambers produce what's called a, no, a solid non-aerosolized byproduct, which is coal ash. So I stand corrected there. Um, now, there are some studies that suggest that the alkaline nature of some kinds of coal ash neutralizes acid mine drainage, um, which is a pollutant formed by the reaction of water and oxygen, and so on and so forth. The problem is this, though. Coal ash can also contain uh, quite a bit of toxic heavy metals that can do the following, poison groundwater and further destabilize the ecosystem, in this instance, the ecosystem in West Virginia. So this is what they're doing. In 2010, when Governor, when Manchin was governor of West Virginia, he pushed this legislation to designate waste coal as an alternative energy source so that, so I said coal ash before, so I stand corrected. So they take this, this uh, waste coal and they burn it and send it up into the atmosphere, which sends more carbon dioxide and sulfur dioxide into the atmosphere. And then the combustion chambers produce this solid, non-aerosolized byproduct, coal ash. The coal ash contains a lot of toxic heavy metals that, again, poison groundwater, among other things. We have another professor here, uh, Professor Avner Vengosh from Duke University. He is a professor of environmental quality, and he studies the impact of coal ash on the environment. Professor Vengosh told Type and The Intercept, quote, 
that without precise monitoring, that means records, folks, that without precise monitoring and analysis, there is no guarantee that coal ash actually reduces contamination. It may, in fact, introduce new contaminants into the environment and groundwater. To quote Professor Vengosh, quote, a company needs to demonstrate that this practice is successful and that over the long term, the practice is beneficial rather than harming the environment. It all depends on the relationship, the volume, and mass of the acid mine drainage. It's really important to examine that relationship long term because in the beginning, often it looks great, but then there can be very quickly a breakthrough where fly ash becomes the primary source of contaminants. So we know that as governor of West Virginia, Joe Manchin pushed this. So guess what happened when he got into Congress? He became one of coal ash's most vocal supporters. In 2016, he sponsored and secured legislation to make it easier for states to deregulate the toxic coal byproduct we know as coal ash. And that is as documented by mansion.senate.gov, his own website, his own press release, press release, um, which was celebrating the bill's passage. Manchin or somebody from his office wrote the following, quote, the overregulation of coal ash by the EPA would threaten vital industries and unnecessarily cost West Virginia and the nation more jobs, end quote. So we know that Joe Manchin has this ongoing conflict of interest that never seems to end. There's more here. I would encourage you to um, you know, look up the investigation. I'm certainly not uh, a geologist. So we also, let's move on, okay. There's another part of this article, <clears throat> and the headline is Everything is Destroyed. It turns out that Joe Manchin's advocacy for relaxing environmental regulations on the coal industry goes way beyond coal ash, okay? So, and really, calling it relaxing environmental regulations, why don't we call it what it is, deregulating? And folks, I know the Republicans push deregulation, and let's be honest. For all practical purposes, Joe Manchin is a Republican. He just is. The only reason he stays in the Democratic Party is when there are close numbers, he knows he can be a kingmaker. That's why. But he's more closely aligned to the Republican Party. He is a fraud, an equivalent. So Joe Manchin um, has all sorts of <coughs> ties. The article mentioned a trade group known as EEI, or the Edison Electric Institute. And the advocacy that Joe Manchin pushes is linked directly to the EEI. Now, EEI, or Edison Electric Institute, is technically an energy producer trade group. They are also tied, they have direct ties to Manchin Coal, and that was as reported by Sludge in July of this year. As early as 2012, Manchin was one of the biggest voices to really advocate for EEI, again, from his own newsroom at mansion.senate.gov. In 2012, Manchin opposed the Obama-era EPA rules that would limit mercury 
and aerosolized acid emissions from power plants like Grant Town. Um, and the power plant in Grant Town does supply power to an EEI member. Here's what Manchin wrote back in 2012. Quote, the EPA needs to be our ally, not our adversary, and work with states like West Virginia that can produce domestic resources to make this country less dependent on foreign energy and more secure as a nation, end quote. Now, backtrack a little. In 2019, the Trump EPA wanted to scrap those emission standards for coal-fired power plants. All of a sudden, Manchin's changing what he's saying. And that is as documented by PowerMag.com. And he's following the EEI's lead in condemning the change. So he joined this coalition of senators opposing the Trump rule. And he wrote that, quote, mercury is a deadly toxin that harms the development of fetuses and children. It makes no sense to take any action that could lead to the weakening of mercury emission standards, end quote. Now, keep in mind, a few years before this, he had no problem with it. But it's analyzed a little further. Bloomberg Law reported that, quote, rolling back the environmental regulations could have knocked down the rates power stations could charge to consumers because coal plants had factored the cost of expensive mercury scrubbing technology into their energy prices. So in other words, Joe Manchin wasn't worried about whether or not mercury was harming fetuses or children. He was against the Trump rule to roll it back, roll back the regulation because he would have made less profit. And he probably would have made less profit because his coal companies weren't spending the money they were supposed to, most likely, on all the scrubbers. They were cutting costs. Again, another reason for maintaining incorrect and inaccurate records. Okay? So the other thing they point out is mercury scrubbing technology. It does remove the mercury, but it, it also depends on another toxic chemical called bromide. And the bromide is supposed to bind and remove the heavy metal. But bromide also has its own environmental hazards and health problems. According to Professor Vengosh, quote, because coal is the major source of mercury emissions in the world, every time you eat sushi and are exposed to mercury, that's thanks to coal. Okay. And in order to reduce mercury emissions, the emitters began using bromide to bind like glue the mercury and keep it from you know, aerosolizing. But then that introduced bromide to the environment. And according to Professor Vengosh, quote, waterways are becoming enriched in bromide. And when this water is treated with chlorination, that triggers the formation of a disinfection byproduct, haloacetic acid. And that goes straight into drinking water. So now we have a generation of toxic byproducts going straight into our veins. And as it turns out, Grant Town, which is one of the towns that, you know, has a mine there, their drinking water was found to have high levels of haloacetic acids that went way beyond EPA limits, okay? And the city of Fairmount's water, de water department, um, which is the town right next to Farmington, so all these little places are kind of connected, they saw spikes in this disinfection byproduct, which is a known carcinogen. Quote, the land is destroyed, and this is according to the Terry Steele, the miner earlier. He said, 
The land is destroyed and the people who live around it. The water is destroyed. Everything is destroyed. And they do that because we allow them to do it. We are the ones who elect these politicians who are owned by coal whores. W-H-R-E. So he's doing the slut shaming. And they say, for 80 years, Democrats were in control. The true Democrats were never really in control. These guys were controlled by coal companies, and they just happen to have a D after their name. I'd say that was right on target. Okay. So there's a lot going on in Joe, on Joe Manchin's plate. Given all this information, why is he the senator that was tasked with crafting the climate bill? As I said before, not only should he not be the one crafting the bill, he should be kicked out of the committee. He is far too compromised. If he weren't a U.S. senator, he'd be under indictment. Do you honestly think that if he were heading up these companies and weren't protected by the qualified immunity that office holders have, do you really think that he would be allowed to write the bill? Of course not. Okay. So let's move on. Let's talk about the Exxon lobbyists just this past July. Okay. This is, and again, it just it just pointed out so much. They call it industry comments. This was, if it weren't so criminal, it would be funny. So there was a Greenpeace investigation called Project Unearthed, and the um, the person from Greenpeace that was doing Project Unearthed was posing as a corporate headhunter, and he was talking to Keith McCoy, who was. Exxon Senior Director for Federal Relations, okay? And they were talking about ExxonMobil's lobbying strategy. And Channel 4 from the United Kingdom first reported the comments. Now, McCoy was tricked. They posed as headhunters and job recruiters. And Mr. McCoy talked about working with shadow groups and, um, you know, supporting a carbon tax that will never happen and influencing senators that were present to weaken any climate, um, any meaningful climate legislation that was going to be part of President Biden's infrastructure plan or whatever. And McCoy bragged, to quote Keith McCoy, Joe Manchin, I talk to his office every week. Okay. Um, Mr. McCoy called... Uh, excuse me, called Senator Manchin a kingmaker. And he talked about how, quote, on the Democratic side, on the Democrat side, we look for moderates on these issues, end quote. In other words, any effort to deregulate the industry. Okay? Now, it should be said that ExxonMobil Chairman and CEO Darren Woods issued a statement uh, as documented by corporate.exxonmobil.com, their newsroom, their news release, um, claiming that Mr. McCoy's comments don't represent the company's views. Quote, we condemn the statements and are deeply apologetic for them, including comments regarding interactions with elected officials, end quote. And then ExxonMobil actually had the audacity to say that they support the goals of the Paris Climate Agreement. 
and that they're committed to addressing climate change. Okay, that, that's as ridiculous as, you know, as presenting a Catholic priest to teach sex education. It's just that stupid. Okay. And not only that, but then on LinkedIn, Mr. McCoy tried to backtrack from his comments. He wrote, quote, I am deeply embarrassed by my comments and that I allowed myself to fall for Greenpeace's deception. My statements clearly do not represent ExxonMobil's positions on important public policy issues, end quote. Okay. The only thing he regrets is getting caught. All right. He's blaming Greenpeace. Greenpeace was doing an investigation. Okay. So this is just it's an, it's an example of how how deep the corruption is. This should enrage everyone. Everyone who has a kid that's asthmatic, everyone who has a family member suffering from some form of cancer. You know, contrary to popular opinion, you know, the medical profession loves to try and blame cancer on having maybe a genetic predisposition. But cancer is a response to a trigger. And you can have all sorts of genetic predispositions, but if, if it's not, if that particular gene isn't triggered, it doesn't necessarily express itself. So, you know, this is something that we have to deal with here. There was a piece from New Republic by Kate Aronoff, and it was uh, published just this last week on the 21st. The title was Follow the Money into Joe Manchin's Pockets. Okay. Uh, then it goes on to say, quote, the senator is no mystery. Fossil fuels feature heavily in both his personal and professional finances, end quote. Okay. And this particular reporter, Aronoff, goes on to explain how, you know, the mainstream media has just been, you know, doing this collective hand-wringing, what makes Joe Manchin tick? You know, why is he taking this principled stance? He's not taking any principled stance. It's all BS. All he cares about is how much money he can stuff into his, his well-lined corporate pockets. That's it. Pure and simple. In fact, the mansion announced just recently as per Axios that he might not cast a deciding vote in favor of the Democrats' $3.5 trillion reconciliation package on the budget. Now, I don't have any, how do I put this? Um, I don't consider Axios a good journalistic source, frankly. They are also compromised by corporate, but eh, even they, so he's, he may not vote for it, and now he's saying he might want to delay, according to Axios again, Voting on, on the reconciliation, excuse me, vote. Let me backtrack. According to Axios, Manchin, Manchin is backtracking now on what he said early on. Now he's saying, I might not cast the deciding vote in favor of the budget reconciliation package. Maybe we should delay voting on it until 22. 
So, you know what, if I were President Biden, I would not just blame the Republicans. I'd be really furious with a lot of those blue dogs, especially Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema. And stop using the carrot and start using the political stick. Talk to Senator Schumer, who is the leader, majority leader right now, and strip Joe Manchin of his chair of his chairmanship on committee. Then kick him off the committee that's actually creating the climate bill. In fact, encourage Senator Schumer, as the House major—I mean, as the Senate Majority Leader—to strip Joe Manchin of all his committees. He'd still be a senator; he just couldn't do anything about it. That would cripple his power because Joe Manchin is no friend to President Biden at all. I admit that I wasn't a big fan of Joe Biden's, okay? I wanted Bernie. I'll say it. But I voted for President Biden because Trump had to go. And I figured, all right, Biden may have some common sense. He might be the 21st century's version of Lyndon Johnson to what Bernie's JFK would have been. Just a theory. Um, and you have to realize, too, um, this latest turn of Manchin, you know, there was a declaration of peace and national, national review, which is very conservative, that praised Joe Manchin and his fiscal instincts and willingness to stand up to fellow arguments, fellow Democrats, I'm sorry. Okay, here's the thing. When an ultra-conservative publication like National, National Review is praising an alleged Democratic senator, it's time to kick that Democratic senator to the curb. Not only that, a Brookings blog, Brookings Institution, another ultra-conservative group, argued that Manchin's, quote, main concern was that additional deficit finance spending adds to inflation risk is not unfounded. Okay. Brookings is backing up what Manchin is saying. A former advisor, according to the Washington Post, suggested that Manchin is, quote, fundamentally mysterious and his vote is impossible to predict. No, it's not. He votes the way that will increase his pocketbook. That's it. Joe Manchin has no ethics. The only ethics that Senator Manchin and, yes, Senator Sinema clearly have proven to understand is being able to satisfy their donors, being able to enrich their own fortunes at everyone else's expense. This is not even subtle, people. So the reporter at Washington Post should hang their head in shame. Keep in mind, Manchin, according to the New York Times this, this month in September of 21, made half a million dollars last year off of his son's coal company. That means that the coal company paid him roughly three times the salary he gets as a U.S. senator of $174,000. So who do you think he's going to be looking out for? Okay, you don't need to look at what's driving him. Greed. And he's power hungry. And he's basically a crook. What he's doing may be technically legal, 
but it's ethically a mess. In fact, I don't even know how legal it is anymore. Okay, Daniel Bogoslav reported for The Intercept earlier in the month that Joe Manchin has earned more than $4.5 million from Enter Systems, Inc. and Farmington Resources. And those were the two old companies he founded in the 80s. Okay, so let's stop pretending we don't understand what, what motivates Joe Manchin. That's asinine. We know exactly what it is. Okay, not only that, he gets more donations from coal, oil, and gas companies during this last campaign cycle than any other senator. Um, so asked by Unearth's undercover reporter was, quote, whether Exxon was trying to keep a clean energy standard out of the infrastructure package, Mr. McCoy, the Exxon lobbyist, said, quote, not really. And to include that if that policy were included, quote, we would probably advocate for natural gas, and I think that is taking hold. We think natural gas will play a key role in anything and not just as a bridge fuel. We know we think it's a low emission energy source and should be part of a clean electricity standard. End quote. Now, after he said this, Manchin got McCoy said this, Manchin got ten thousand from ExxonMobil for his twenty eighteen reelection campaign, according to OpenSecrets.org. His top donor in the twenty twenty two cycle is Tellurian Inc., which is a gas company, again, according to OpenSecrets.org. Manchin's office didn't respond to any request for comment. Okay, so in response to the New York Times piece on Manchin's fossil fuel industry ties, okay, so the New York Times did a little something on it finally. Uh, a mansion spokesperson said, said the following, quote, that the senator is in full compliance with Senate ethics and financial disclosure rules. He continues to work to find a path forward on important climate legislation that maintains American leadership in energy innovation and critical energy reliability, end quote. Okay, this stupid statement only proves that Senate ethics Talk about an oxymoron, Senate ethics, it's kind of like military intelligence. It, but it proves that Senate ethics and financial disclosure rules should be consistent with the actual law that everyone else has to follow. But that's for another story. But it just shows how inadequate it is. Um, Manchin himself also denied any weekly meeting allegations in the Greenpeace Unearth report that Keith McCoy claimed. And this was as documented by RollingStone.com. My response would be, never underestimate any politician's ability to lie and lie profusely. Okay. So this is something where we need to hold these people accountable. We just do. We're going to skip ahead here because it isn't just Joe Manchin. So it turns out, there and there's more. There's more stuff that Manchin's done, but we're not going to get into all of it tonight. There is. Man, it turns out Senator Manchin has a counterpart in um, in the House. 
This is from uh, an article written by David Moore from Brick House, which is in conjunction with Sludge. The headline is, it's not just mansions. The top energy dem in the house also has fossil fuel conflicts. And that top house Democrat is 14-term Congressman Frank Pallone of New Jersey. Pallone became the chair of the House Energy and Commerce Committee in 2019, and Pallone will have a major role in shaping the legislation that is supposed to achieve the cuts in greenhouse gas emissions that President Biden wants. Pallone's committee committee has jurisdiction and includes, quote, environmental protection and clean air and climate change, end quote. Okay, so let's look at Pallone. It's not just him, but it's his wife. (coughs) According to the financial disclosure for 2020, as reported by disclosuresclerkhouse.gov, it shows that his spouse, continues to hold stock in companies that play an active role in lobbying against strong climate policy, companies like Chevron and Dominion Energy and General Electric. His spouse owns up to $15,000 worth, I guess, in stock options or stock in Chevron. Okay. Up to $15,000 worth in electric utility Dominion Energy and up to $30,000 worth in General Electric. And GE is the conglomerate, this massive corporation that owns subsidiaries in the oil industry. Now, uh, Congressman Frank Pallone's spouse is Sarah Hospidor, and she first acquired Chevron and Dominion stocks, okay, in 2012. Um, She's held the GE stock since at least 2007, which was the first year the Pallone's financial disclosures were made available. Um, Pallone has rejected the calls of a group called Sunrise Movement to sign the the No Fossil Fuel Money Pledge, which is asking politicians to uh, refuse campaign contributions over 200 from companies, lobbyists, and executives in the fossil fuel energy. And Pallone has told them no repeatedly to their faces, and that was according to the Sunrise Movement co-founder, Arshini Prakash. Last cycle, Frank Pallone brought brought in nearly $300,000 from energy company PACs. And that was according to OpenSecrets.org. His 2020 PAC donors include, they say those associated with Chevron, TransCanada, which will be um, fracking, Duke Energy, and several other more heavily polluting companies. Last cycle, Frank Pallone received the second highest amount of all House Democrats in donations from the energy and natural resources sector, according to Open Secrets. There was a recent International Energy Agency report that found that in order for the world to reach net zero emissions by 2050, there can't be any new fossil fuel infrastructure um, and the sale of new gasoline-powered vehicles has to halt by 2035. And then emissions from power plants must be zeroed out by 2035 as well. Okay. Pallone, like, I'm just going to say it, like the obvious jackass that he is, counts fossil gas as clean energy. Okay. Oh, 
how these people consider fossil fuel clean energy. There is no scientist in the world, legitimate scientist, that would make that claim. It's that stupid. He does not support the Green, the green New Deal, and that's according to OcasioCortezHouse.gov, okay, as well as NewJersey.com. And the Green New Deal framework is important. It calls for a 10-year national mobilization to basically get to the point where we convert 100% of U.S. power to renewable zero-emission sources as well as other investments in clean energy and frontline communities. Okay. Now, to go on with this here, this past March, Pallone and Energy Subcommittee chairs introduced their version of a clean, of a major climate plan. They called it the Clean Future Act. And that is as documented by energycommerce.house.gov newsroom. And they propose a clean electricity standard that rises to 80% of consumer electricity by 2030 and 100% by 2035. It goes on and on and on. The problem is they're piddling with time. We don't have the time. So we're going to skip ahead here. Um, Pallone has been called out by New Jersey activists and rallies outside of his office, according to foodandwaterwatch.org. Uh, Joan Farkas, who's chair of our revolution, Monmouth County, was quoted saying the following, in light of the, rev quote, in light of the revelation of how Exxon lobbied Congress to ensure that no legislation will adequately address climate change, we now see why Frank Pallone's Clean Future Act does nothing to ban fracking or new fossil fuel infrastructure, end quote. We didn't go into all that because we're running out of time, really. We will go into it in some depth, depth in another show because I want to be able to do this justice. Um, when you look at the timelines, the Clean Future Act has 20 House co-sponsors, but the Green New Deal has 102 House co-sponsors. So why is Nancy Pelosi allowing Frank Pallone to be in charge of it at the House? Good question. We're going to move ahead here. In conclusion, because we talked a lot about Manchin, and then we mentioned about Pallone, his House counterpart. We know that scientists worldwide have clearly told us that it's code red for the planet. And yet the U.S. government is being held hostage to what can only be called the corporate toady we know as Senator Joe Manchin. He is often aided and abetted by Senator Kirsten Sinema and some other blue dog, allegedly moderate Democrats, in addition to House counterparts such as Congressman Frank Pallone. <clears throat> the mainstream, a.k.a. otherwise known as corporate press, continue to push the bromide that Manchin and Cinema and the others are moderates who want bipartisan negotiations. Well, that's a really effective way to enable what can only be called collectively our corporate abusers. Manchin, Pallone, Kester, Kuhn, Cinema, they're not moderates. They are the beneficiaries of what can only be called legally sanctioned bribery and extortion on their part. 
And as such, they are protecting big fossil fuel at the expense of future generations. We now know internationally that unless we drastically cut fossil fuel and switch to 100% renewables, future generations <clears throat> will inherit a planet that is largely uninhabitable. This could have been stopped. And you kind of wonder, well, how can it be stopped? You know, the Democrats don't have enough votes in the Senate to change things. Well, that's true. But let's be honest here. One of the reasons why Joe Manchin has so much power, besides the fact that the split in the Senate is so close, is because of the filibuster. If the filibuster were gone, part of Manchin's inordinate power would be cut off at the kneecaps. It just would. All we would need to stop Manchin is to get one more moderate Republican to come on board to nullify Manchin's siding with the Republicans. It's a vote switch. But it won't do us any good until we get rid of the filibuster. So how can we get rid of the filibuster? Well, you know what? It isn't that difficult. Here's what needs to happen. We need President Biden to order Vice President Harris to do her duty. The Vice President is President of the Senate. And as President of the Senate, she can make rulings that, yeah, override not only the majority leader, but that override the Senate parliamentarians, including firing her. According to Professor Erwin Shermerinsky, who is the dean of the UC Berkeley Law School, the vice president, based on some older opinions that trace back to the 1950s, any vice president could end the filibuster at any time and subsequently end this Mexican standoff if they declared the filibuster unconstitutional. And it is because it denies equal representation. That's it. And the filibuster would end. That would cut Joe Manchin's power at the kneecaps. All we'd need is one Republican to cross over, and I'm sure we can find one. All of this will not, will not matter until the filibuster is gone. And so when you hear all these senators saying we can't get rid of it, keep in mind, most of these senators are attorneys. They can't get rid of it. That's a lie. It just is. What I explained about Professor Shermerinsky, who has written books on constitutional law, just as we talked about on the show before, just this past March, I believe it was, Professor Erwin Shermerinsky, who again, as I said before, is the dean of the UC Berkeley Law School, and Professor Burt Newborn, I believe it was, who is a professor at NYU School of Law, wrote an op-ed that ran in the LA Times, and it explained it quite simply. This has existed since the 1950s, and the actual, here's the ironic part, the actual author of that opinion that could end the filibuster was none other than uh, Richard Nixon in the 1950s, Vice President Richard Nixon. And those opinions are at the, I believe, was the Wilson Center. Yeah. And it clearly states that any vice president can put an end to the Senate filibuster at any time by declaring it unconstitutional 
denies equal representation. And that is exactly what the Republicans did under Mitch McConnell when they ended the filibuster for Supreme Court nominees. So there's no reason why the Democrats can't do it, except they don't want to. Because now, if they did that, they would have no more excuses to push a progressive agenda. That's it. You can look up the opinion yourself. It is obvious. The Republicans have used it. We don't have to put up with this anymore. We have to have a meaningful climate bill. We have to have a Green New Deal. Otherwise, our children and grandchildren will inherit a planet that is uninhabitable. You can't pretend to, you can't ignore this any longer. There are no more places to hide out from. This is our moral duty to save the planet as much as we can, to save all the species, the animals, plants, and yes, humans. This is our moral duty, and anything short of that is unacceptable. And we need to take ethical criminals like Senator Joe Manchin, and we need to strip him of all his committees so he can't do much of anything, and we need to investigate, and yes, we need to charge him criminally, even if that means stacking the Supreme Court so we can get some honest decisions. You have to decide what kind of world you want, what kind of world you want for your children and your grandchildren. Those of us in the boomer generation, are we so selfish and so cowardly that we would relegate our children and grandchildren to a future of climate disasters, one right after the other, straight out of the biblical story of Armageddon. Are we that selfish? This is a test of our collective morality. The time is now. That's our show for tonight. Good night and God bless.